Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, y'all, and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're discovering what the Scripture teaches regarding doctrine and theology. You know, things that a lot of Christians think are too difficult to tackle, too hard to understand, and too out of reach. But we're always attempting to do this in a way that is applicable to the lives we live. We do this because we agree with what C.S. Lewis once said, A man can't be always defending the truth. There must be a time to feed on it. And that's what we hope happens to you and, honestly, us as we meet together on this podcast, that the Word will feed us because we want to help you be strong in your faith, knowledgeable in and of the Word, and growing in your love for Jesus. Today is our third episode in our series of Ecclesiology, the Doctrine of the Church. In episodes 61 and 62, we discussed how the church is like a flock and then like a fellowship. And today, we're going to be focusing on how the church is like a body. Pastor Jeff, do you belong to any organization? I really haven't thought that much about that. I a don't club. Well, I'm not in the. I'm not in a chess club. I'm not in a book club. <laughs> I tend to stay really busy with church work. But you know, as I think about it, I'm a fire department chaplain. So mm-hmm. as a part of that, I'm a member of the Bluffton Township Fire Department. And as a part of that, I'm also a member of the South Carolina Public Safety Chaplains Association. Mm-hmm. So that's something. I'm a church member. Mm-hmm. I have a library card, <laughs> so I, I guess that makes me a friend of the library. I'm sure there's others, and I guess like many in our kitchen table theology community, my my neighborhood has a POA, a property owners association, and we're members of that. Everybody loves being a member of the property owners association. Oh, right? Don't we? Don't <laughs> Are we? you a member of a pro- property owners <laughs> oh, POA? Oh my goodness. Unfortunately, yes. yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. And I can meet you on the church and I can meet you on the library card. Not a part of the fire department. I don't think anybody would want that. I've called the fire department from time to time. But I bet you can't meet me on the organizations I was involved in while I was trying to build my resume in high school. I'm sure I couldn't even hold a candle to you. I was a member of the Manatee Survival Society. I was the treasurer, in fact. We had 40 whole dollars. But I managed it very, very well. You were a great steward. I did. Um, I was in musical theater, so I was a member of the Thespian Society. So that was, and I got an extra chord at graduation. That was big news. So yeah, organizations, being a part of something. Yeah. Everybody wants to be a part of something. Well, and when you think about that, being a part of a group is very, very normal. It's part of our identity. I think we get a lot of our identity as humans from, you know, we talked about in the last podcast, you know, you pull for your football team. Mm -hmm. There's an identification that goes on there. People join groups, people join clubs. Clubs, you know, why? To engage with other people. They're like minded people. They share common interests, common hobbies, maybe common concerns. And throughout our lives, we're a member of a family. You know, I've been part of many, many sports teams. Mm-hmm. And people are always searching to find some level of identity in a group of friends or maybe colleagues at work. Some people identify with those within an ethnic culture. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a member of a Scottish organization of some sort because Cranston, we have our own clan. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, You show me, you have a seal or something, don't you? We have a seal, we have a tartan, Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. Do you wear kilts? 
Uh, they do. <laughs> I don't have a kilt. If I had and one, And kitchen it. table theology <laughs> listeners, we're going to do a little fundraiser. Get Pastor Jeff to wear a kilt on a but, Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, I would totally wear it. Kilts are expensive. They come with all kinds of other things. You got to have a knife. You got to have other accoutrements. Well, we're going to get a Kickstarter campaign going on. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, back to, you know, what, the reason we're talking about this is, you know, people join a book club or a social media group, uh, some sort of special association. Oh, alumni associations. Oh, we're members sure. of those mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And all of those groups can provide fellowship, interaction, but they all point, I think, to the deeper longing for every person to belong in the family of God. The ultimate membership a person can join is in the body of Christ. So let's start there. What do we mean when we talk about the body of Christ? Yeah, because that's one of our metaphors in in this series. So stated very plainly, the body of Christ is the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul tells us this, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. This doesn't mean individual church buildings. He's not talking about that where Christians meet regularly. I can't say that word. Regu- regularly. I'm going to say where Christians meet often and consistently. I can't frequently. S- frequently. <laughs> but, you know, when we say the word church, most everybody thinks of a building, mm-hmm. and that has no concept of what the New Testament means when it talks about church. But the word church, the concept of church, the body of Christ, is believers collectively forming a- as the church, and we are called when we do that, we are the body of Christ. So I think that's what we'll do on today's podcast. Let's try to help us all gain a better and proper understanding of what the church is, who is in that body of Christ, and why the New Testament writers chose to use that metaphor. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. So Pastor Jeff, let's get started right from the beginning. The church is a body. Yeah, there there are many New Testament verses that say exactly that. The church is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, is one of the key passages. Paul refers to members of the church as members of one body. Each member has, have, has his or her own special function. We all have our own responsibilities, just as members of our physical bodies do. Paul's writings into the Ephesian church, the Colossian church, he refers to the church as a body with, and here's something very important, with Christ as the head, and Christ as the head then holds the entire body together and equips every part to work as it ought to be working. And I've heard you preach and teach on this before in our church over the years, and remember you saying something along the lines of, did you elect your hand? Did you choose your hand? No, your hand is your hand because it can do hand things. (laughs) It can lift things up and put things down. Your eye gets to be the eye in the body of Christ because it is... It's gifted at seeing. Your nose gets to be the nose because it smells. Now, granted, I have a teenage son at home, so sometimes a nose isn't the only thing (laughs) that smells. Feet and other things come into play. (laughs) On the other hand, sometimes the nose runs. So maybe he's just built upside down. (laughs) Hey, dad jokes aside. The point is, wherever you're gifted, that is your part in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, I think a good question to ask is just who belongs to the body of Christ, who belongs in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
We've been talking about 1 Corinthians 12. In Romans 12, we read, Just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The body of Christ, therefore, is made up of all those people who place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That's that's who comprises the body of Christ. Believers. It doesn't center on us. It doesn't center on what we do, but on God and what He does does in and through his church. You know, just quick reminder, we're studying the doctrine of ecclesiology and studying the church. The Greek word translated church, we talked about this one or two podcasts ago, mm-hmm. is the term ekklesia, and it means those who are called out. Not necessarily called out of the world, but called out of society for some particular function, some some particular purpose. So as such, we are not only called out, but we're called together. And there's the idea there of being an assembly also. And, you know, that reminds me of something I've been wanting you to shed some light on. So I'm going to ask you something really quick. We read so much in the Gospels where Jesus is mentioning the kingdom of God. What is the relation of the church to the kingdom of God that's different than the body of Christ? So this is a little rabbit trail. Okay. And you, we'll, we'll run down that. Let's 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 take a quick run. Go, Bunny, go. <laughs> Count Jen's little rabbit trail. But it's a very good question because there definitely is a difference. The kingdom of God is basically the rule of God. Now, in Roman Catholic theology, they teach that the church is the kingdom of God. Therefore, the church is supreme. The church has the right to rule. The church has a right to dominate the whole of life in every respect, people, even countries and nations. Protestant theology, on the other hand, teaches that the church is not the kingdom of God, but a part of the kingdom of God. The idea being that God's kingdom is much grander, wider, broader than just the church, because God rules everything and everywhere, including even outside of the church. Okay, that definitely helps. So let's take another tack here. Uh, Followers of Jesus span the globe, right? But the global body of more than 2 billion Christians is separated into thousands of little denominations. Yeah, it's hard and to, how, how can you say you're one body when we've got all these I think I had six roommates my freshman year of Bible college, and all six were different, different denominations. denominations. I mean, we got Pentecostal and Presbyterian and Mennonite and Lutheran and Baptist and Methodist and all across the board. Just a top, that just goes off the top of my head, and the list goes on and on. So there's thousands of churches like ours out there who are also (laughs) non-denominational? Yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, you're you're right. Last estimations I saw, remember seeing, show that in the U.S. alone, there's more than 200 Christian denominations, Mm. which when I read that, I thought that was low. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking that sounded really low. That's about right. And staggeringly, there's Mm. 45,000 denominations globally, and those numbers come to us from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. Mm. So let's get our heads wrapped around this. So if we are the body of Christ and we're supposed to be one, how can we account? for Christianity having so many different branches. Well, this is going to require a little bit of a history lesson, so I'll, I'll try to do this quickly. But to give us a good context and to, to answer that question well, you know, at some level, there has been a differentiation. There has been a variety um, that has been in Christianity since the very beginning. This didn't start like 800 years ago. You go back to the early church, and we already started to see between even Peter and Paul some differences, not, not necessarily bad, but they were, you know, going in some different directions on 
some things. So as the early church began to emerge, we began to see some differences already. Now, a lot of these were primarily due to geography and culture and language, and that, that still holds true today. Then something major happened in the fourth century. We had our, the, the church had its first major schism, and it was called Arianism, hmm. which was over Jesus's relation to God the Father. I think dozens of podcasts ago, I think we mentioned when we were talking about the uh, deity of Christ. Sure. I think Arianism came in to play there. So Arius was this priest from Alexandria, Egypt, and he claimed that because Jesus was begotten, you know, the only begotten Son of God, or brought about by God, that Jesus, therefore, was a lesser divinity than God. And then this guy named Athanasius, who was also from Alexandria, a theologian, he claimed, no, no, Jesus is God incarnate. Well, that caused a major upheaval among the Christian church in the Roman Empire. It split Christians in the Roman Empire in half. And then the Council of Nicaea, which was a group of theologians and scholars gathered together by Emperor Constantine I in AD 325, and I remember studying church history and having to memorize that date, you know, 325, Mm -hmm. Council of Nicaea. They got together. They talked about that. They ultimately sided against Arius. So that was that became the church's official view. But in spite of that, Christians continued to be divided on the subject for well, well longer than a century. Then, so move ahead to 1054. The Eastern Orthodox Christians split from the Western Roman Catholics in what's known as the Great Schism. That's the actual name of this. It was so major, the Great Schism. And I'm assuming that means split. Yeah, a schism is, is a split, a division. The two groups disagreed on the taking of the sacraments. You know, in the sacraments, the religious symbols believed to transmit divine grace to the believer. So we're talking about the uh, communion elements primarily, but there's other, other sacraments, especially in the Roman Church. Beyond that, the Eastern Orthodox Christians disagreed with the Roman Catholic beliefs that priests should remain celibate and that the Roman Pope had authority over the head of the Eastern Church. Now, I think I may be wrong, and Kitchen Theologian, you could help me on this and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it was up until the 14th century, Roman Catholic priests could be married. Mm. So they were were having schisms and isms and (laughs) arguments about all kind of things. But now to get to denominations, things really, really amped up after the Protestant Reformation. Now, that was the birth date of the Protestant Reformation is generally agreed upon to be October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the Mm -hmm. door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. So after that, as the Protestant Reformation began to take root, a number of denominations began to multiply. So the Reformation, and that was instigated by a number of events, most notably Luther, emphasized a personal faith in Christ. And that movement was in reaction to the fact that interpretations of the Bible, of uh, of grace, of the absolution of sins, of how to get into heaven, all of that was being mediated through priests in Catholicism. Luther was a Roman priest mm-hmm. when he did all this. He wasn't trying to start something new. He was trying to reform the Catholic Church. And actually, their, their motto was always reform. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're coming to an end here. Okay. Luther and his followers claimed that the Bible, not a, a church hierarchy, was the ultimate authority over all people, including priests, and then w- what really got him in trouble, including the Pope. Mm. And that, you know, several uh, ecclesiastical practices like the granting of indulgences, in other words, for the, an indulgence was you paid the church money, and for a certain amount of money, you could be absolved of sin. Mm. And that's, you wonder how those great cathedrals were built in, in Europe. 
they were built upon the backs of people who trying to pay for their own sin were giving money. Mm. And Luther just thought that was horrific mm. and that was corrupt. And initially, there were just a few major Protestant groups, but ultimately the Reformation ushered in more Christian offshoots. And by the 17th century, our word denomination began to be used. That's the first time you begin to see the word denomination come up in the 1600s. And that began to be used to describe religious offshoots. And here we are today. Here we are today. So that's a big mix of people and theology and beliefs. And it's a jumble. It's a, it's a, and I've forgotten what your question was or how we even got on that. You know? Oh, if we're if we're one, how it, why are we having so many denominations? That's a little deal on how we got to the denominations, I guess. Hopefully that, that helps somebody a little bit. And if it didn't, we have a joke for everyone. Everybody loves a joke, right? <laughs> Kitchen table theologians, Pastor Jeff and I have a joke for you, which sort of sums up the differences and the schism that have happened over the years. Are you ready to do this together? Yeah, we should have rehearsed this. Oh, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll play one role on this joke, and you take the other one. Okay. And let's try to not to mess this up too bad. So this is a fictional account. No, Don't anybody get all uptight about this. Of a woman on a bridge about to jump off the bridge and end it all. I'll be the woman. Oh, good. Okay, okay. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> So seeing this about to happen, this man runs up and shouts to her, don't do it. But nobody loves me. God loves you. Do you believe in God? Yes. Great. Are you a Christian or a Jew? I'm a Christian. Me too. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant. Me too. What denomination? Baptist. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. It's unbelievable. Me too. Northern <laughs> Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. Die, heretic. And the next sound you hear will be Jen splashing into the river. <laughs> so get us get us back on track. It's so true. It's so true. That's All how of we these are teeny with tiny little things. Because and and it is true. If we we go on a little bit of serious note, we have all of these things that we can agree on. All of these things that we can come together on, and then what? thing can throw out what do they call it throw out the baby with the bath water yeah. upset the whole apple cart all yep. of those things okay so what we've established is that the church is like our physical bodies and we know how diverse and different our bodies all are likewise the church is made up of a diverse group of people and god has called us out to be a part of his body with christ as the head and I think the key word you want to remember here is unity. Uh, biologically, a body comes into existence when the seed or the sperm joins the egg and forms a cell. And then inherently, and I've, this is amazing to me, but inherently within that embryonic cell are the components which determine your hair color, your eye color, your facial features, all of the millions of things that go into creating the body. 
Now, when a church is formed, believers are joined together in one unified body that should function in harmony. Now, there are times it does not. There are times in our own bodies when our cells don't function right. And when that happens, you start not to feel well. Illness can occur. And that can happen in a church. It can happen in the body. But the Bible uses the analogy of the body for the church to reveal the inherent life within the church and its intended unity and harmony, just like the physical body. Mm-hmm. So let's jump back to where this began with us talking about each member's role within the body. I believe you're saying that since Christ is the head, that he gives and supplies to every member of the body, right, in order to fulfill his mandate and calling. Yeah, exactly. The the truth is that the body of Christ is designed to teach us that we need one another and that we must care for one another. To the world, we must show ourselves one in Christ, united in love, united in a shared life. You know, we're we're united in in Jesus. Such a a unity like that, that's not uniformity. It's not even conformity. It is unity. And it really is a spirit-given sense of the mutual needs that we have, the recognition that our diversity is both God-given and essential to our maturity and our health. When I look out on Sunday mornings at our church, I see a lot of diversity. I see a lot of different body types, body shapes, hairstyles, skin tones, it's we're we're just different on so many levels but what we have in common is the cross of of, of Jesus and Jesus himself so finally i, I think it's a really vitally important that we recognize as members of Christ's body that again he is the head he controls the body therefore he is to be given preeminence in all things the head always gives the body direction so christians we, we must be willing to listen to him and receive his orders. And when that happens, health results, good things result. And when health is present, all parts of the body function properly and are happy. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is our head, our source, and he gives unity and nourishment to his boy, to his group. And this so what today <laughs> is that he uses us in all of our weirdness and oddity and wildness and oneness to take his gospel into all the world. Well, all right, y'all, if you enjoyed this episode, please recommend this podcast to your friends and family and do share it on social media. Also, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating or a comment. They really help us to get the word about kitchen table theology out there. Please also check out today's episode notes for further information. And don't forget to head over to jeffcranston.com where you may freely access our podcast archives and other resources to help your faith journey, like Pastor Jeff's sermons, his books, and his blog. Our next podcast on the topic of ecclesiology is the Bi- the church, not the Bible, the church. Let's get this right now. The church as a bride. The church That's as right. a bride. Yes. And as we leave you today, we want to encourage you to always remember that the real power of theology is not just knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff.com at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. 
Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.